0: Hi, this is Eric Proudfoot, I'm the Acting Unit Chief for the FBI's Intellectual Property Rights Unit, and you're listening to IP Fridays.
1: Hello, and welcome to this episode of IP Fridays. Our names are Ken Suzanne and Rolf Clayson, and this is the podcast dedicated to intellectual property. It does not matter where you are from, in-house or private practice, novice or expert. We will help you stay up to date with current topics in the fields of trademarks, patents, design and copyright, discover useful tools, and much more. Welcome to episode 110 of the IP Fridays podcast. I'm your co host, Ken Suzanne. Welcome back to all returning listeners, and if you're new to the podcast, we're glad that you decided to listen to our program. Just a reminder that you can listen to this podcast on numerous podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Stitcher.com, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and of course online at www.ipfridays.com. Today we have an exciting interview for you. We'll be talking with the FBI's Intellectual Property Rights Unit, But first, let's take a look at a development concerning the EU Copyright Directive and Brexit. UK copyright holders are living in times of uncertainty, as the UK government has announced that it will not implement the Copyright Directive passed in the EU in 2019. The Copyright Directive removes traditional safe harbor provisions premised on notice and takedown that protected websites from liability for hosting copyright infringing user-generated content, Now, one of the requirements for shielding against copyright infringement liability is to block infringing content via an upload filter. Major critics to the directive were YouTube, Facebook, and other social media platforms, claiming concerns that an upload filter would stifle creativity on the Internet. Chris Skidmore, the UK's Minister for University, Science, Research and Innovation, announced prior to Brexit that the UK would not implement the Copyright Directive because it did not have enough time prior to exiting the EU. Nigel Adams, the Minister of Sport, Media and Creative Industries, has said that the government supports the overall aims of the Copyright Directive and reiterated that it is imperative for the UK to protect its content creators and their rights. It appears that any future copyright legislation in the UK must be passed through the UK's political system, possibly placing British advocates of the copyright directive back at square one. Copyright involved trade organizations are frustrated with the UK's decision not to implement the copyright directive. For example, the UK's music industry is worth about 6.8 billion US dollars and employs over 190,000 people. Music industry trade groups fear that the UK's music economy will be negatively impacted without the copyright directive. Government officials claim that the government intends to implement copyright laws similar to those in the directive, but no concrete steps have been taken. Now, onto our interview with the FBI's Intellectual Property Rights Unit. Our guest today on IP Fridays is Eric Proudfoot. Eric is the Acting Unit Chief for the FBI's Intellectual Property Rights Unit. For the last 12 years eric has been an agent with the bureau welcome eric to ip fridays
0: hello ken thanks for having me on today
1: nice that you're here with us uh eric um our first question is why does the fbi investigate intellectual property rights matters
0: well great yeah so the fbi's investigation of intellectual property rights crimes dates back to 1908 when our first agents focus primarily on white-collar crime to include copyright violations. In fact, uh, intellectual property rights are deeply ingrained into our nation's history, so much so you'll find the basis of copyright and patent law in Article I of the U.S. Constitution. Uh, today, intellectual property, or IP, driven industries, which are those relying on patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets, make up a substantial part of the U.S. economy and drive innovation, growth, and competition. Approximately one out of every five jobs is in an IP-intensive industry, and that's 20% of our workforce. Because of IP's significant value, various actors, including individuals, criminal organizations, and nation-state competitors, exploit IP as a direct source of profit, either to fund illegal activity or as a source of economic advantage.
1: And um, Eric, uh, what is the scope of the crime problem? Can you fill our listeners in on that?
0: So in terms of dollars and cents, IP crime is estimated to be equivalent to approximately 3% of all global trade, which is roughly around $500 billion. IP crime is a drag on the economy, slowing growth and innovation and, and ultimately costing millions of jobs and billions of dollars each year.
1: And does the FBI investigate all IP crime?
0: So we investigate the theft of trade secrets, counterfeit products, and copyright and or trade infringement uh, cases. Uh, Priority is given to matters posing a threat to public health and safety, national security, or those having significant economic impact. Our overarching objective is to disrupt and dismantle international and domestic individuals and organizations that manufacture traffic in counterfeit and pirated goods, or those who steal, distribute, or otherwise profit from the theft of intellectual property and trade secrets. So the FBI works diligently to address the IP threat by utilizing our experience and expertise in intellectual property, money laundering, organized crime, cybercrime, national security, undercover operations, and data analytics, just to name a few
1: and now looking at the world as a whole um where do most counterfeit goods come from
0: according to u.s customs and border protection approximately 87 percent of all counterfeit goods seized entering the united states originate in china or hong kong which we believe is used as a transshipment point point. and it's not just the number of seizures but also the value the the goods seized from china and hong kong represent 85 percent of the estimated MSRP value of all counterfeit goods seized in the US.
1: And Eric, uh, what would you say are the principal challenges that you face when investigating IP crimes?
0: Well, the growth of e-commerce and low-cost shipping is now allowing counterfeiters to sell directly to consumers anywhere in the world. Many consumers think they're buying a genuine product because they see it pictured on a website well unfortunately when the product arrives oftentimes it's a counterfeit other consumers may know they're not purchasing the genuine item item, but you know intentionally they're buying a knockoff product in order to save money
1: and why is that a problem eric
0: well in recent years we've seen an increase in counterfeiting by terrorist and organized crime groups human traffickers and drug cartels drug dealers and other criminals are using counterfeiting to fund their other illegal operations Because, frankly, counterfeiting provides a large profit margin with a much lower risk of prosecution or jail time. Consumers may think they're getting a great deal on a luxury bag or watch or maybe even free cable TV. But, in fact, they may actually be funding some nasty criminal or terrorist activity.
1: Now, Eric, in today's um, technology-driven world, how often is IP crime occurring? Can you give us an idea of the frequency?
0: Yeah, unfortunately, IP crime has grown beyond a few fake goods being sold on the streets or in flea markets. Because computers and the Internet are now such a significant part of how business is conducted, technology is now facilitating IP crime. Whether it's the theft of a company's trade secrets, counterfeit goods being sold on e-commerce platforms, or the illegal streaming of copyrighted works, both the consumers and the rights holders are becoming increasingly victimized in this digital age.
1: And you know, with, with respect to the internet, um, you know, it's global. What happens when we have multiple countries involved in a particular IP crime? What's the procedure?
0: Well, having an international nexus is certainly not a barrier to our investigative work, Ken. Mm-hmm. In addition to the FBI's 56 field offices here in the United States, we have 63 legal attache offices, or LEGATS for short, around the world. Our LEGATS coordinate and promote partnerships across borders facilitating the sharing of information, exchange of intelligence, and timely processing of bilateral legal assistance requests. LEGATS also collaborate with our other federal partners to conduct training and capacity building with foreign law enforcement, foreign prosecutors, and other regulatory agencies. Domestically, the FBI is a full partner in the Homeland Security-led National Intellectual Property Rights Coordination Center, or the IPR Center as we call it located in Crystal City, Virginia. The IPR Center brings together 25 law enforcement and government partners to address the IP crime problem. So the members of the IPR Center include both domestic and international agencies, such as U.S. Customs Border Protection, U.S. Department of State, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the City of London Police, Mexico's Customs and Revenue Service, and well as, as well as Interpol and Europol. The IPR Center partners leverage their various authorities to interdict, investigate, coordinate referrals, and conduct training and outreach to private industry to ensure that law enforcement possesses timely intelligence on the IP crime problem. Ultimately, this is accomplishing more than any one agency could do on its own.
1: And what else do you do, uh, Eric, at the Bureau besides investigate crime?
0: Well, We spend a lot of time and effort conducting outreach and training, Ken. For instance, last year, we met with more than a dozen foreign delegations and participated in several international symposiums concerning IP crime. We've also met with many individual brands, trade associations, and U.S. agencies. Mm
1: -hmm. And what's the rationale uh, behind spending so much time on outreach and training?
0: Well, our philosophy is that engagement with the private sector is critical to addressing the IP threat. The FBI invests a significant amount of time collaborating with the private sector through the IPR Center and at various conferences, seminars, and symposia throughout the U.S. and around the world. And then this engagement allows us in the FBI, as well as the private sector, to discuss latest trends, best practices, and to educate one another and hopefully find solutions to identify, to disrupt, and dismantle counterfeit operations for the benefit of the victim businesses and consumers. Ultimately, this is, you know, a problem that no one agency or sector can solve by itself.
1: And, Eric, um, how can consumers protect themselves, and in particular, how can they get in touch uh, with the Bureau, for example, uh, through the Internet?
0: Well, some, first, you know, Ken, some of the telltale indicators of counterfeits include the price. Mm -hmm. Frequently, prices of counterfeits are are much lower than the current retail price for the genuine article. Uh, The method of payment, um, consumers should be aware if this uh, merchant only accepts or strongly encourages wire transfers or virtual currencies or they don't accept credit cards. Uh, Consumers should be wary of the country of origin. For instance, if it's a country that's not associated with a genuine product. Uh, If there's spelling or grammar errors on the website or uh, advertisement of the product, frequently we see that counterfeiters' ads and websites contain spelling and grammatical errors. Uh, Consumers should look at what is the quantity that's available for purchase. You know, counterfeiters that offer mass quantities, uh, typically, you know, only legitimate manufacturers could produce this amount. Uh, what is the return policy for the goods? And if, if there's a very strict or, or cumbersome return requirements, uh, this should also be a red flag for consumers. You know, one of the things that we recommend is that consumers take a few seconds to do their due diligence and check the website of the genuine product for the pricing information as well as a list of authorized distributors. You know, generally speaking, we say if it looks too good to be true, it probably is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, consumers and listeners out there, if they if they'd like more information on the FBI and, and what we investigate, we we you know visit our website at www.fbi.gov. If they'd like to report suspected criminal activity, they can visit www.fbi.gov/tips. I'd like to also direct listeners that they can visit the website for the National IPR Coordination Center by going to www.iprcenter.gov. On this site, they can report IP crime by clicking the Report IP Theft button.
1: Eric, thank you so much. This has been a very insightful interview. Thank you for spending your time with us today on the IP Fridays podcast.
0: All right. Thank you, Ken. And thank you to the listeners.
1: That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, please show us your love by visiting ipfridays.com slash love and tweet a link to this show. We would be so grateful if you would do that. It would help us out to get the word out. Also, please subscribe to our podcast at ipfridays.com or on iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you have a question or want to be featured in one of the upcoming episodes, please send us your feedback at ipfridays.com slash feedback. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can go to ipfridays.com slash iTunes, and it will take you right to the correct page on iTunes. If you want to get mentioned on this podcast, or even have comments within the next episode, please leave us your voicemail at ipfridays.com slash voicemail. You have been listening to an episode of IP Fridays. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by their respective law firms. None of the content should be considered legal advice. The IP Fridays podcast should not be construed as legal advice or legal opinion on any specific facts or circumstances. The contents of this podcast are intended for general informational purposes only, and you are urged to consult your own lawyer on any specific legal questions. As always, consult a lawyer or patent or trademark attorney. Copyright 2014. All rights reserved.